see that we put the sign-up sheet out for Kids Church, and a lot of people signed up. Praise the Lord for that. And they said, yeah, I'll participate, and I'll, I'll disciple these young disciples and, and just care for them and love them. It's a great blessing. But I will tell you, if you're going to do Kids Church, do it with a partner, okay? Have a partner. It works a lot better that way. So praise God for that. Amen. All right. Any other announcements? It seems like I'm forgetting something, but I guess not. It just, there's so many different announcements as we go along. Well, praise the Lord. Hey, let's continue. Let's continue to look at God's word this morning. Amen. Hey, have you ever got schooled? Do you know that term? Getting schooled. Come on, raise your hand. Have you ever gotten schooled? You know, every one of you have gotten schooled. You know what I'm here to tell you? It's called learning the hard way. How many people learn the hard way? How many people almost exclusively learn the hard way? Okay. So we're pretty good. We understand what it means to learn the hard way. We understand what it means to get schooled. We understand what it means to lose, to fail, to feel defeated. Think about it. When was the last time you got schooled? When was the last time you had to learn something the hard way? You know, somebody might say, well, it was this morning. <laughs> I had to learn something the hard way. I want to ask you, do you think you hold the record for learning things the hard way and getting schooled? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's true. <laughs> do you ever find yourself tired of repeating that same old cycle again and again uh, of learning things the hard way instead of learning them an easier way? Wouldn't it be nice to get off that cycle? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to leave that behind? You know, last Sunday we read about Eve getting schooled in, in Genesis chapter 3, and that's what happened. She indeed got schooled. She learned the hard way not to trust the devil. You know, I could ask you, have you learned not to trust the devil? And you'd say, bam, right away, yeah! But you know if you're really honest, it's not true. It's not true. Some of us might have be there. We might be where we just don't trust him more. Others of us, ah, we take him for granted. He's not that big of a deal. He's like a, a lion with no teeth or claws. At least he's let us feel that. And so we see her getting schooled because she had to learn to not trust the devil. She had to learn to not trust her solitary thoughts and feelings. Do you trust every solitary thought and feeling that you have? She had to learn to not. She had to learn to think, to not think that she could get away with disobeying God without any consequences. You know, some of us struggle with that. You know why? Because God doesn't come yelling and screaming when we don't do his will. And we don't do it his way. He's so patient. He's so gentle. He's so humble, but there are always consequences. So this morning, I want to read again and talk through Eve's story, because we're going to jump back, because that's where we've been in the Old Testament, kind of setting the tone for understanding the rest of God's Word. But I'm coming back, at least one Sunday, back into the garden to talk about some things, to give us some encouragement about not getting schooled so easily. Uh, and there are ways for us to not get schooled. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 13. And unlike Grant, I did put the whole thing, 
verses 1 through 13 up on the screen. As I want you to read it, I want you to think about it. I want you to see it. You know why? Sometimes we learn more of what we see than what we hear. I don't want you to get schooled. Man, I've been schooled more times than not in life, and in very difficult ways. And uh, I hope that this helps you become better at this. So, let's read her story. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And we know that as we go along that the serpent represented the devil. And he's in the garden. And so he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? <coughs> the devil is so shrewd. He knows how to approach people. And he's playing dumb. And he's also exaggerating. Because that's the way you can get a person, you can kind of evaluate what they know or don't know. You know, you come to a pun and go, ah, you know, I'm not, boy, you look pretty tough. We used to do that in fights and things, go, man, you're pretty tough. I can't really do, I, I'm not that good. And you'd minimize yourself in front of them, knowing that you could kick their butt in an instant. But you were baiting them into thinking more of themselves than they ought to. It's a tactic. It's what old dudes do sometimes, even, when you're in confrontations with situations. You just kind of minimize the situation and you play dumb. That's what he's doing. The devil knows exactly what tree is not supposed to be touched, and he knows that it's not every tree. It's just one tree. And so the woman says to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, all of them, but God said you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. There's one. You must not touch it or you will die. Well, she exaggerated too, didn't she? She added, you mustn't touch it. God never said don't touch it. God trusted Adam and Eve. They were in a love-trust relationship. He put the, the tree of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of, of eternal life right there in the midst. And they could eat from the tree of life, but they weren't supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he put it right in the center, right in the midst, because he trusted them. And he never said you couldn't touch it. He never said you couldn't look at it. He never said you couldn't be around it. He just said don't eat it, because in the day you eat it, you'll die. Wow, she exaggerated. Satan comes back then. You won't, you won't just drop dead. No, it won't happen. And he's really focused on this immediate thing that it's just going to happen like that and you're going to drop dead. He goes, he's twisting it, he's working it, and he's working her. The serpent said, the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's trying to, to get her to doubt God, to doubt God's goodness, to kind of get her to think, you know, God's just holding back on you. This is something that could be really good for you. In fact, you could become like him. Wow. We all want to be limitless. Right? Man, we do. I want to have limitless beauty, limitless strength. I want to have limitless wisdom. Man, I want to get on that motorcycle and turn that throttle open and see where it ends. 
I want to get in that car and put the pedal to the metal and see how far that car can go. I want to get up and see how far can I jump and still survive. That used to kind of be my thing when I was younger. How far can I jump and not break a leg and hit the ground? Or how far can I jump up from a bridge or other things and still be okay? Right? Well, there's a limit, isn't it? And when you find that limit, you don't get to test it anymore, do you? <laughs> Sometimes. Because that limit can cause severe consequences. And so he, he pushed her and he threw that thought out there. And it says, we don't know how long it was. We don't know if it was one day, five days, 50 years, 100 years. We don't really even know, do we? But it says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she decided at one moment, one day, to take some, and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. You don't know if he knew what it was or wasn't. doesn't say. Um, you just simply, she decided one day to eat it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Oh, my gosh. <coughs> <coughs> then the man... And his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And remember, the garden was the Holy of Holies, right? It was the place where God dwelt with man in intimate relationship with mankind. It was the Holy of Holies. It was to be expanded and grow this place in the presence and intimacy of the Lord. But it was to start there because God was present in the earth. But it says that when they heard him in the cool of the day among the trees, they hid themselves from the Lord. They had never hidden before, but they hid themselves. They pulled back. That's what will happen. That's a consequence. It's a consequence of thinking wrong and having wrong thoughts. It pulls you back from people and from God and things and from God's will for your life. And they held back, and they hid from the Lord among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. He's afraid now. There was no fear before, and now there's fear. There's fear. I wonder how you're going to treat me. I wonder how, what you're going to think of me. I wonder what's going to happen next. So there's fear. And, and because I'm naked, I'm hiding myself from you. We don't have that kind of intimacy anymore. I'm not sure I can trust you with that kind of intimacy anymore. When you trust people, you can have that kind of intimacy. When you don't, you can't. Right? And so I hid. And then God asked, who told you you were naked? He knew. God knew. He just wanted to have a conversation. He wanted to build rapport with man. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, I'm not going to tell you straight out and answer that honestly. I'm going to pass the buck. The woman you gave me, she's the one that gave me this fruit, and I ate it. I'm innocent of this. I love that. I love that pass the buck. 
And then he goes to the woman. And, the wo- and he says to the woman, what have you done? And the woman passed the buck. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, look at you're not passing the buck because I know that you were the tempter. This is what's going to happen to you. Now from there we move on into curses that occur because there are consequences. And everybody receives a curse from the serpent to the woman to the man. And you all know those stories well. And then it said, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He knows it, his eyes are open, but he doesn't know how to handle it, and he doesn't know what to do with it, and it's, and it's like he, he's been given enough rope to hang himself, and he's going to hang himself. So we're going to launch into our plan. And it goes on, he goes, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden, that place of intimacy, the Holy of Holies, to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow! Wow, what a story. Wow, did Eve and Adam get schooled. They got schooled. They they learned some things the hard way. And it almost looks like they're not going to come back from it. See, but because this phrase, getting schooled, has school in it, it also means that it gives us always an occasion and an opportunity to learn. Eve got schooled, but did she learn? Did she grow? Did she change for the better? (coughs) We're going to kind of find out and say maybe not. But the question is, have we learned from her example? We watched this woman get schooled by the devil. We watched his age-old tactics on her. Have we learned from her example and and her situation, and have we repented because of it, Have we changed because of it? Jesus certainly approached his temptation, which was much more intense, in a very different way than Eve. We know that in Matthew 4, chapter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, that's where he faced this temptation after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he approached it much differently. You need to read that. I need to read that. We all need to stay in that word because it shows us how to overcome the evil one's temptation, and how not to get schooled. Jesus didn't get schooled. He did the schooling. So we need to learn from that. But we looked at that last week, too. And the Apostle Paul did the same thing in much of his life and ministry after he came to Christ. How did Jesus, how did Paul overcome Adam and, where, overcome where Adam and Eve failed? How did he? I'm here to tell you something. One of the most amazing gifts that we've been given is our mind. It's what really makes us human, the ability to think, to learn, to choose, to reason, right? Uh, while we're, we have this ability that makes us human, right, it actually goes deeper. Your thoughts become a reflection of who you are, right? Your thoughts become a reflection of who you are. 
Proverbs 23, 7 is a great verse to memorize and to meditate upon. And it says as, and it won't say this in, in real modern translations, they've changed it, but that notion is still there even though they've changed the, the wording. But in the older translations, it was worded this way. As a man or woman thinks in their hearts, so they are. So true. As you think in your heart, so you are. So true. So true. God understands that. So does the devil. So does his demons. They get it. They know that the main battle in our lives and the main battleground is our minds. It's our minds. That every other area of our life is affected by our minds. And whether we succeed, whether we overcome, whether we fail, whether we shrink back, and whether we disobey, it happens first in our minds. And, and I'm going to kind of say, minds to heart, somewhere in here, right? It's, there's some connection that's pretty deep. So I'm not going to pretend to know how all that connection is made. But what we think in the center of our being about ourselves, the thoughts that we hold, the things that we think, so we are. So we are. So we have to put a guard there, don't we? And we have to be careful. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 11, or 3 through 5, and this is kind of one of our main verses here. He's talking about his ministry, and he's talking to the church in Corinth, and, and they seem to have little real knowledge or practice in these things, but he said to them, for though we live in this world, in the world we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Because they're strongholds. Where are those strongholds? They're in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge that means knowing and experiencing God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. How are we to, over, how are we to learn to overcome unhealthy, wrong, sinful thoughts and make them obedient to Christ? How are we to do that? Do you know that part of being a disciple of Jesus and following with him Embracing his lordship and embracing his teaching, it is embracing his teachings. And it's learning to take thoughts captive. My people perish for lack of vision and knowledge. We have to put into practice taking every thought captive. And so we grow, as we grow in our experience of God, we have to learn to take every thought captive. As we mature in righteousness and in relationships, it's because we're learning to take every thought captive. Uh, and as we do our ability to expose lies, to bring down lies in our life, instead of becoming a part of those things, becomes better and we become more skilled because we learn to make, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So I want you to consider with me this morning. Seven ways, and I know there are scriptural ways, and I know you're kind of going, oh my gosh, that's a lot of ways, man. But there, there's a lot of battle that needs to happen. You don't have to necessarily practice and, and look at all seven ways today, but you need to march through these seven ways and let the Holy Spirit teach you and guide you through them. But there are seven ways that we're to take our thoughts captives and to make them obedient to Christ. 
And it's so important that we do. So let's consider the first one. Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Evaluate the origins of your thoughts. Oh my gosh. That is so true. We grew up, <clears throat> some of us grew up in the church, some of us didn't grow up in the church. But we've all grown up with the opportunities to think things that are bizarre. Right? And to think in ways that aren't righteous. We've all been wounded and hurt and it's caused us <coughs> to be lopsided in our approach to certain things. On how we think, how we see ourselves, how we see God. I'm here to tell you, don't believe everything you think. And only believe half of what you see. Right? Because we're being bombarded daily with thoughts. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of thoughts daily. Are we taking every thought captive unto Christ? You know, when I first came to the Lord, about a year into it, I found myself being tempted to go back to my old ways. Old ways of living, old ways of thinking, old ways of behaving. And I found that alarming. And so I went to one of my youth leaders and said, my gosh, these things are kind of there. Does everybody do this? Does everybody kind of have a struggle with this? And he go, she said, she was a pastor's wife, she said, yes. Everybody struggles with that. Everybody has to learn to fight it. The reality is you have an adversary seeking to tempt you back. One that's found, he's found in Genesis 3. But here, I'm going to give you a list of other scriptures because you need to know your enemy. And you need to know how he attacks and his ploys against you. And you need to know how to take authority over those things. So helpful. I had it in my Bible for years. Just a few scriptures that I could go look back to. And those few scriptures, as I began to read them and meditate upon them, I began to become more wise and I could rebuke them in the name of Jesus. One of them was, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Um, I'm not going to go into stuff, but I was into spiritual things. And I felt like I was being uh, spiritually hunted and attacked. And boy, did that help me big time. And I gained authority over those lies. It, it, and I found it to be over and over again. I had to have my mind renewed. I had to change. I had to think in new ways. And I, when I first came to Christ, I realized some of those things were wrong and were sinful, but I didn't realize all the ways I was wrong and sinful and had bought into lies. But as I stayed in God's Word, as I stayed and continued to meditate upon them, as I continued to evaluate the origin of my thoughts, I began to discover what was true and what wasn't true. Do you, do you know the origin of your thoughts? Some of us have thoughts and we have perspectives that we got just from our family. It's not from the Word of God. We have thoughts and feelings that we got from our culture or our bad experiences. It's not from God. We got thoughts and feelings we got from wrong theology or dogma. It's not from God. We have to take every thought captive. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to search my heart and see if there's any hurtful way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. 
So don't believe everything you think. Because you can think so many things. You know, you have a dream, and you married an alien. Okay, I'm telling you, it's not from God, and you're not going to marry an alien. But some people run around, oh my gosh, I'm going to marry an alien. <coughs> I know that's bizarre, right? But we have other thoughts like that. Can't believe everything we think. We can't believe everything we think. And, and here's the other reason why we can't believe everything we think. You ready? Uh, I learned something. Our optical nerves in our eyes, they relay a message back to our brain, right? So that they create visual images. So, as I'm looking out at you beautiful people, uh, this optic nerve is working to tell me what I'm seeing. But you know what? The fact of the matter is this. My brain is sending twice as many messages back to my optical nerves than it is receiving through them. So, you might look beautiful and wonderful, but boy, my brain's telling me, oh boy, these people are something. So I have to question him, is what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking, is it real? Is it true? Because the condition of my mind and heart, because my mind is a predicting machine, it will tend to tell me, and I'll see what I want to see. I'll see what I expect to see. I see what I focus on seeing. Everybody's with me, everybody's attentive. But some of you might be checked out, and I don't even know it. Right? Because I'm seeing what I want to see. Remember the old video where the group of people were asked to watch a video of people passing a ball, doing a bounce pass, and you had a group of people in this video bouncing the ball, and there was just a bunch of them, and you're supposed to watch this video, and then as a group, you count how many times they make a pass. And they go, focus on it, and then tell us how many passes were made. So the group is sitting there, they focus on this video, they see these people passing a ball, and they go, they watch it, one, two, three, and they're passing it back and forth, and it's a bounce pass. Okay, seven, or nine, or whatever, and they've got it. And then the people conducting the, the, this little experiment say, did you see anything else on that video as you counted those passes? You go, no, we just saw people passing the ball. You didn't see the person in the bear suit walking right through the middle of them while they passed the ball? And went, what? A person in a bear suit walks right through the middle of them as they're passing the ball. Did you not see it? And usually, nine out of ten people do not see that person. I was one of them. The very first time, I did not see the person walking through the video, because I was focused on counting the passes. And then they show you the video again, and sure enough, <coughs> they're making passes, and here comes this person in a bear suit, walking right through the middle of them. And I thought, oh, hold it. I'm smarter than that. I'm more perceptive than that. I'm more aware than that. And you know what? We aren't. We aren't. We aren't. So don't believe everything you think. Evaluate the origins of your thoughts. And think about it. To what degree is your mind and your heart clouded by unhealthy past or a, a, a wounded and unhealed wounds from the past or even present sin? Those things affect what you see 
That's why we need one another and we need God's word. To what degree do I evaluate or discern the origins of my thoughts? Do I do that with God's word and do I do that with other people that I trust? Or do I just accept them as being true? Because I saw them and thought them. Man, nope. No, no, no. Let's go to the second one. How to take thoughts captive. Here's the second one. You've got to accept responsibility for mastering your own thoughts. You have a part to play. You've got to accept that responsibility. You and I have that ability to exercise control over our thoughts. Just a chapter later, in chapter 4, the two sons of Eve, Cain and Abel, she has two sons. They bring offerings to God. Abel's offering is the best of his herd. Uh, And God accepts it, while Cain's offering is just some of the fruit of his soil, and God rejects it. And this makes Cain angry. But Cain knows he wasn't giving his best to the Lord. But he gets angry, he gets depressed, and he's jealous of his brother. And, And God warns Cain. He warns him to focus his mind. Focus his mind on the right things. And this is what he says in Genesis 4, 6 through 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Isn't it obvious? But God asked him, if you do what is right, will will you not be accepted? Sure you will, if you do what is right. But if you do not do what is right, here's Cain, know this, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to have you. But you must rule over it. You must rule over it, and you can. But Cain chose not to accept responsibility for it. He wasn't going to master his thoughts about the wrong things. He wasn't going to do that. And what did it ultimately lead to? We know, because we've read it in chapter 4, he murdered his brother. And then he tried to cover it up and lie about it. Are you and I willing to admit that you, with God's help, can regain control over your thoughts? I'm here to tell you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can, with God's help, also with the help of your brothers and sisters that you can trust. And the word of God, you can gain control over your thoughts again so that you can think healthy thoughts. You can think right thoughts. You can think righteous thoughts instead of unhealthy, deceptive, and destructive ones. You can do that. But it's it's not going to be from your own strength. It's from you accepting your part to play in it. See, we often think from our culture, and and number three is this, your, your mind must be renewed, not just educated. See, we think from our culture that education, just getting it, Expanding our our mind is the key to change and growth. But I'm here to tell you that that's just not true and it never has been true. There are a lot of people, for instance, who have maybe three masters, two PhDs, can speak five languages, write books, publish elite journals, and guess what? They're still crippled with self-doubt. They're still hobbled under the burden of shame, rejection, poor self-image. They're poisoned with pride, stubbornness, a victim mentality, a defeatism. Because education is not it. Education is a tool. It's a tool that can help. So I'm not knocking education, because I think it can play a role (coughs) 
But it's not the thing. We have to have our minds renewed. Right? And we can think in a healthy way if our minds renewed. Again, as Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so they are. Only Jesus, the creator of our heart, only his ways and truths and indwelling in our heart can heal our heart. That is it. He lives. Now, I could be super zealous as a person and even want to reach high goals. Doesn't matter. You can't get there on your own. It's not humanly possible. I have found over and over again that I have to submit to Jesus' way and to Jesus. And he's got to do it in me. Amen? He's got to do it in me. There have been so many things where I come to the Lord and say, God, <coughs> I want this. I want to think this way. I want to behave this way. But I don't. And I can't seem to find the right strategy. And the Lord just said, the Lord always say, lay it at my feet, give it to me. Well, what? There's got to be more I'm supposed to do. No, trust me. And keep bringing it to me. And I've found time and time again, and I hope you have too, that all of a sudden I get down the road and I'm thinking in a new way, I'm behaving in a new way, in this way that I wanted to behave in and think in, God has done it. Because I, simply because I trusted him. And I followed him. He used his word. He used other people. He used other things even. But I could not control it and I couldn't make it happen. He had to. And I wake up on the other end and go, oh my gosh, there we go, it's done. It's done. Why don't I trust and walk by faith more? It's so true. It's so true. Our mind must be renewed, not just educated. And I'm going to kind of keep going with some of these. Because I know I've been a little long here. Number four, we have to honestly process through our problems. Honestly process through our problems. You and I both have a tendency to let problems build up. Amen? We let thoughts and problems and issues build up and roll around our minds like we're in, a, like they're in, we're in our garage. And we got way too many things stacked on the shelf, way too many things that we're tripping over, because we're not dealing with it. And we just let them kind of go, and we do not process through our problems. Instead, we react to our problems. Or we just let them roll around, like I said before, unaddressed or un unsubmitted. Um, we can't do that. We're not called to do that. We're supposed to, it says, to keep our eyes on Jesus. And th there is sin that so easily entangles us. And there are certain things that happen on this discipleship road that we're on, and we need to deal with them, honestly and openly. And I'm here to tell you, freedom comes from, from truth and the light of truth, not by keeping things hidden or in the dark. Freedom comes by truth and the light of truth, not by keeping things hidden in the dark. You never go anywhere that way. So honestly tell yourself, I've got to honestly process through my problems. I've got to do it in a godly way. And there's a good way to do it, and then there's a bad way to do it. But doing it in the light with the Lord, with his word, doing it in the light with other people that are important and germane to those issues, 
That's the way to find healing and to process your problems so they don't become pro greater problems. Number five, take wrong thoughts captive through confession. And as I said before, that's what we're, we're really talking about when we honestly process through our problems. We're, we're bringing them out into the light in confession. Confession grants us forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, confess, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Lord has promised forgiveness. Confession grants us healing. The Bible tells us in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and be healed. See, you're, when you speak the truth to others and admit where you're really at, you can find healing when you own it and when you humble yourself that way. If you play games, if I play games and we hide it, you can't expect to find healing that way. Number three, confession grants us renewed intimacy and fellowship with God. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So no, <coughs> you can find mercy. I wish we could have had an example in Genesis 3 of Eve coming and talking to Adam or coming and talking to God about her question or struggle, but there's no mention of that. So we don't know whether she ever did or didn't, but you can kind of guess she didn't. She just kept her thoughts to herself, kept her conversations to herself, and it brought her down. Confession pins the evil one, and it stops him in his tracks. Boy, you undermine him when you act in that kind of humility because he wants you to operate in insecure pride, thinking you could do it yourself. Don't, don't fall for that. Confess. So take these wrong thoughts captive. Number six, choose to focus on what is verifiably true. You know, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, remember it tells us, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How do you know if anything qualifies? It's because you investigate it. You honestly investigate it. You, you, the, the truth never fears scrutiny. It doesn't. So when you honestly investigate your thoughts and your feelings, and you do that with God's word and with his spirit and with other trusted believers, man, you're going to discover what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. And then you think about those things. Whatever then Paul said that you've learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. As we practice these things, we can grow and grow up. We can grow and grow up. I I'm here to tell you, I learned some things the hard way. You did too. And I can remember once in wrestling, I'm going to use this because Isaiah is here and he's a wrestler. Uh, and I've told this story to some people. I had wrestled real young as a elementary kid, and then I stayed off wrestling for a year or two. I came back once in middle school. Hadn't wrestled for a long time. Hadn't really fought that much. I know it sounds bad, doesn't it? But, so 
I wasn't ready for all that kind of stuff again. I was kind of, I was rusty. And my coach, who was a college wrestler, who was awesome, knew that. And he knew that we needed to get some experience well before wrestling ever started. So he began to throw us into every tournament he could find. And it was the very first tournament, and I went alone. <coughs> no one else was there but me, and I show up at this tournament. Yeah, that's a bad thing, right? Especially with an unexperienced wrestler. So I get out there, and I know I'm unexperienced, but I'm trying to act cool, man. I got it together. I'm hiding my true thoughts. I'm hiding my fear. I'm hiding all that, man. Because, you know, I got to be the man. And I win my first few matches. And you know what? As I won match after match, I realized I'm not in shape. I realized I'm muscling people. And wrestlers know that. I'm muscling. I'm just using my sheer strength to win a match. But there's no skill. Everything was coming at me so fast. I couldn't think, and, but I was surviving, and I make it to the final round. And I know I don't deserve to be there. I know I don't have experience to be there. I'm trying to act cool, but guess what I had? You always have these great wrestlers who have henchmen, and it's middle school. So you've always got this little dog running around behind these bigger dogs, and they nip all the time, and they... They're, they, they're just obnoxious. And so they're telling me, oh, we saw your matches. Man, you're just muscling people. You don't know how to wrestle. Oh, man, we saw you. This guy is good. He's got experience. He's going to kick your rear end. And they kept speaking to me. And I was trying to reject it and say, no, that's not true. <coughs> but I knew it was true. I knew how I had won those matches. I knew what was happening. I knew how I got there. But I wanted to be different. I wanted to be confident. I wanted to be confident in my abilities. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to, to, to win. And so I get out on that match. Do you believe in wrestling you can ever pin yourself? Come on! I know you're laughing. I dug the hole for him and then jumped in and said, okay, go ahead and shoot me. I was so messed up mentally because so much happens in your mind, especially in wrestling. Wrestlers, good wrestlers are good because their minds are good. <laughs> They're skilled. It's not just your physical and your athleticism. It has so much to do with being able to think and be wise and be able to move at the right time in the right way and capitalize. So you have to have a lot of options. Man, I get out on that thing. I pretty much almost, once he put me in something, laid over, turned on, boof, and got pinned. I was so humiliated. His friends, the little ones that were chirping, are laughing. He's just kicked my rear, and I'm laying there, and I can still remember laying on that bag going, I hate this. I gave up. What? How could I do that? How could I let him, just let him do this to me? And I laid there, and I sat up, and I said, never again. It's right. I'm not experienced. I didn't deserve to be here, but I'm going to get experienced, and I am going to deserve to be here. I'm going to change, 
and I'm going to grow. And so I left that match, and I told my coach, get me in everything possible, because I need to grow. I need to learn. I need to understand. I'm tired of getting, uh, getting schooled and getting my rear kicked and handed it to me. I don't want to learn it anymore the hard way. I want to learn the right way. And so I'm willing. And so I did. Thankfully, you should know. I know this, not all these stories end that well. I met him again. I whipped him. I met him the second time in the championship. I whipped him again. Because I, was, I, was, I knew who I was. I, I, I accepted who I was. I was honest. I, and I focused on what was verifiably true. Before, I'd been focused on lies and things that weren't true about me, about others, about the sport, um, and I had no peace. It can change just like that in discipleship. Choosing to focus on what is verifiably true. The evil one tries to spin a lot of lies to us that just aren't true. And we need to take those lies down. Amen? And finally, thinking in a, uh, number seven, thinking in a new Christ-like way is possible. It really is. It's possible. Just as I learned and grew as a wrestler and grew in how I approached the sport and thought about myself and thought about the sport, so we do that in our lives if we have a vision and know that the Holy Spirit wants to grow us. He wants to grow you. He wants to grow me. He wants us to practice our faith. He wants us to respond in different ways. So I want you to take heart. As God empowers you to focus your mind on the right things, it will become easier. As I focused my, my mind early on in my walk, it became easier to trust the Lord that I was indeed a new creation and walk in it and, and not be able to be buffaloed away from it. Um, and then it's never changed. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. You can develop a new frame of reference. You can develop a new frame of reference based upon the truth of God, based upon what is noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. You can really grow. It's possible. But it's not going to happen just because it's possible. We have to respond. It's possible. It's possible to live aware of your thoughts to take them captive. But God's given us his spirit. He's given us his word, and we've got a fellowship in it. And we've got to start just following him, walking with him. We can't control it. So don't try to get on down on yourself about where you're at right now. Simply say, God, I don't want to get schooled anymore. God, I want to learn and grow. I don't want to have to learn everything the hard way. <coughs> and you know the Lord will say, okay, come on. Here we go. And he'll do it. I hope you want to do it, and I hope you feel encouraged that, that you can. You don't need to get schooled. You've got school, but you don't have to. Amen? I want you to stand with me. Let's close in prayer.